It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Your iTunes reviews help Pantsuit Politics move up the rankings, which spreads our love of nuance far and wide. Plus, being called the Oprahs of Nuance made my life. So please take a few minutes and leave a review by searching Pantsuit Politics in the podcast app and clicking the Reviews tab. Is telling people you're a Trump voter like telling people you were gay in the 1950s? We discuss the New York Times' provocative essay, Are Liberals Helping Trump? This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So we're back to our... Original titles, Beth. Do you want to tell everybody why? Well, mostly because my husband and mother told me that I'm a progressive, I'm a conservative. Sounds lame. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like it as much, but I was fine. I just wanted you to be comfortable. But I'm, I'm glad we're back to the original. I appreciate you respecting it. So what my husband has over several long and intense conversations about this topic <laughs> convinced me is that I still am right of center. Right doesn't have to identify with the political right as a group. It can identify with sort of a spectrum of beliefs about what you think the federal government is here to do. So it is in that spirit that I will return to being Beth from the right. Yay! (laughs) 
So before we talk about the New York Times piece in the suit, we're going to address the continuing waterfall of news. It's like living in Niagara Falls as somebody who's trying to cover politics these days. So we're going to start out with the increase in immigration raids across the country. Recently, even in Paducah, they were doing ICE raids up in Union City, Tennessee. So it seems to be um, an increased approach, a more aggressive approach. The New York Times had an article that we'll link to in the show notes about um, the Trump's plan to increase raids and also increase deportations. So I read something that said, and we'll link this in the show notes as well, that we just need to kind of constantly check ourselves about what's happening here. Because the Obama administration also talked about enforcement of immigration laws against people who have committed felonies. And certainly you'll hear from the Trump administration that their focus is on felons or as they might categorize it, you know, the bad hombres. But I think that an important thing to tease out of this is what the felony is. And if the felony is just violation of immigration law, that's a very different topic than some kind of violent crime. Well, and here's how I feel the conversation degrades so quickly with regards to immigration law. If I say I am against these raids, I feel like what people hear is you don't care if people come in the country illegally. No. I feel like the debate, the nuanced debate about immigration is not, you know, whether or not we should have open borders. The nuanced debate is, should we deport people when our system is flawed and deeply in need of reform? You know, should we punish people? I listened to a really great Death, Sex, and Money with a girl from, um, one of the girls from Orange is the New Black, and she literally came home at 14 and her parents were gone. And she had to live with friends and go to college, and it just, just, you know, it really affected her life. She was a 14-year-old on her own because they deported her parents to Columbia. So it's not that I don't think we should have laws in which we, sh- in that we should enforce them. My problem is enforcing laws that I feel like are fundamentally flawed and unfair. And I feel like, you know, we all know our immigration system is problematic. And to tell somebody, like, especially people in Mexico who want to come here to better the lives for their children, well, you need to do it right and wait, oh, I don't know, 20, 25 years. I mean, that just doesn't seem reasonable. And so when I say these raids make me uncomfortable, it's not because immigration laws make me uncomfortable. It's that the state of our laws are unfair and flawed, and we need to really reform our immigration system overall. And that's my problem with the raids is I just feel like it's punishing people for the fact that we can't get our act together and fix the laws. I agree with that. I think the complexity of immigration law creates a situation where selective enforcement has to be the norm. And that's part of the problem, right? You don't know at any given moment what the administration's approach to immigration is going to be. And Congress has done such a miserable job in creating immigration law that there's enormous power in the executive. I think too much power. We should not have this kind of dramatic swing Swing. in philosophy Mm -hmm. from one administration to the other. And that's Congress's fault. Right, right. So when I say, I guess I wish we could just push the conversation on immigration a little further. And, you know, I've had so many conversations with friends and they're like, well, you know, people should follow the rules. I mean, yeah, but I am fundamentally a person who does not follow rules, I think is fair. Now, that could be a personal thing. You could argue that is unethical <laughs> depending on the rule. But there is, I have a deep 
sense of like moral outrage at rules that I think are unfair. And that's my issue with these raids. I don't think it's the people who are being deported, you know, to countries they haven't lived in in maybe 20 years fault that Congress can't get their act together. So we also wanted to highlight something that is not getting maybe as much attention in social media, at least as other stories, but is critically important. A Democratic member of the Federal Election Commission is stepping down from her post because she is frustrated at the partisan nature of the Federal Election Commission. This is a big deal because the custom in Washington would be that since a Democrat is stepping down from the FEC, which is three Democrats and three Republicans, Senate Democrats would typically come together and urge the president to go with a particular nominee. But it is the president's choice to nominate someone. So this could give President Trump quite a bit of influence over a body that is supposed to be charged with making sure that our elections are conducted. We all know how he feels about political norms and norms inside Washington. So I don't see why he would listen to take the recommendation at all. He's just going to appoint who he wants to appoint. It's also sad to me that partisanship at that level is paralyzing a bureaucracy like the FEC. You would think that there would be a lot of common ground for Democrats and Republicans about the process of conducting elections. So I just find it really kind of disillusioning that this has been her experience. Yeah. I mean, it must be really bad if she thinks... Throwing it 4-2 to Republicans would be more effective than her staying on it. If she could be more effective from the outside than staying on there, at least preventing um, a disproportionate partisanship. But, hey, I don't serve on the FEC, so I don't know. President Trump is already in campaign mode, as we talked about on our episode last Friday. And over the weekend held a rally in Florida. That was a re-election rally for all practical purposes. I just don't understand, like, the fact... So, okay, at first when these stories came out, it seemed like it was, like, a partisan perspective. Like, he's filing for re-election, and this is sort of what my liberal bubble was paying attention to, but nobody else is. But, like, now the na- he sort of says it's a campaign rally. The national media is saying it's a campaign rally. And still, there's no, like, no, we don't want the campaign to per- be perpetual. Like, again, I say... Americans get so upset when you pull out a Christmas tree in Halloween, but this everybody's cool with. I don't get it. I don't get why there hasn't been a, no, we don't want to be living in a presidential campaign environment con, con, like consistently. It was awful. Why would we want to do this all the time? And maybe there just isn't room for that right now yeah, in the maybe. discussion. Maybe it's because they're, we're so far from having a Democrat emerging as the challenger. That people don't feel like it's a real campaign environment yet. Maybe. I don't know. It's just so obvious that he doesn't like the actual work of being president. He likes running for president. So he wants to get up on a stage and people cheer for him. And he gets to attack the media and call it the enemy of the American people and get his kicks. I'm not being very nuanced now. I really didn't want to talk about the rally because I don't have any nuance for the rally. The big story coming out of the rally in the media was his statement about what happened last night in Sweden as he listed a litany of attacks perpetuated by immigrants, allegedly, in different nations around the world. You look at what's happening in Germany. You look at what's happening last night in Sweden. Sweden. Who would believe this? Sweden. 
They took in large numbers. They're having problems like they never thought possible. And nothing happened last night in Sweden. He later tweeted that he saw on Fox News a report about crime in Sweden, and the report speculated that there was some link between immigration and crime in Sweden. So that's a window into where our president gets his information. Yeah, I mean, I I used to feel a little bit better when I knew he was watching CNN, but now apparently all he's watching is Fox News, and that makes me want to throw up. Like, and I, I will say that the rally was illustrative in that he said a couple things where he seemed to think you were only representing the people who voted for you. Just side note, you're not. You're representing everyone. And just the continued everything scary, Every you have to vote for me, and that still or see look see that Freudian slip I just did there. That's because that's really what he's trying to do. He's still trying to campaign. He's still throwing Hillary Clinton out there every once in a while, which is truly ridiculous. He just wants an enemy and be able to stand up a stage and act like a savior and not do the actual work of making people's lives better. It's also just miscalculated in my opinion because the headline today could have been Trump holds rally in Florida touts stock market performance, mm-hmm. touts jobs, touts, you know, he's doing some good work out there. There's some good economic indicators, and that could have been the headline instead of a screw-up about a Fox News story. Mm. Yeah, but he would have to actually take in, I don't, I mean, I, does anybody believe this man is like sitting with briefing book and just really, you know, he's trusting people to tell him things, he's watching Fox News, and that's where he's getting his information from, and I think the rally speaks to that. This is just maybe informed by my perspective as the mother of two small children right now who works full-time and does a podcast but um how does he have time he doesn't to watch cable news and he played golf and he played golf all weekend and you know i always try to be fair i don't like it when anybody gives any president a hard time about their vacations because i deeply believe we all need to recharge especially the person with the nuclear codes and the kind of pressure that presidents live in. I am having a difficult time with the sort of every weekend at Mar-a-Lago. And and I just truly am in awe of when he is catching all the cable news that he's catching in the course of the day. I don't know if you watched John Oliver, but they showed like all the press on Air Force One and you could hear the commercial from yes. Fox News blaring and he just has it on all the time. Like, just personally, I cannot do that. I cannot have any TV, even if it was like, I don't know, you know, Daily Show Channel, John Oliver, people I like and people I agree with. Like, I just couldn't do it. I don't want that chatter in my head all the time. I don't think it's good. I don't think you can have a focused sort of be with yourself and your own thoughts and work things out if you're doing that all the time. And also, I've never had, literally in my life, had, even when with Bush, when I felt like he was sort of, there was a lot of corporate cronyism going on, but I've never had a reaction of like, that's my tax money. Like, just this sense of like, I'm giving you all this money and it's going to be spent on you going to Mar-a-Lago every Florida. Now, I know my personal check is not like being per- like channeled. Maybe it's like one, three cents, you know, three cents or less or whatever it is of the big, huge checks I write. But like, dang, that just makes me mad. What a waste of money. I often think about my tax dollars specifically. <laughs> and I think what's interesting about this with Donald Trump is that it 
tells you a lot about his style and what he values. Because you could see a businessman, I hate the word businessman, I want something more gender neutral than that, but mm-hmm. I'm going to move along from it. We, <laughs> side note, um, for Christmas Eve, we went to a service at um, the church that we attend, which is very gender neutral and sensitive in a lot of ways. And so instead of talking about the wise men, they talked about the wise ones because they were... Or like wise ones. Yes, they were encouraging everybody to play a role in sort of a living nativity. Yeah. And so Chad and I laughed about wise ones for weeks. And every time we stop at Five Guys, which is not often, but we drive by a Five Guys a lot, he'll say, do you want to go to Five Ones? (laughs) So business ones. You could imagine a business one coming into the White House and really clamping down on any kind of frivolous expenditure, right? No unnecessary travel, right? I'm not taking Air Force One anywhere unless security demands require it. So it's interesting to see that he doesn't seem to have any of that sensibility. It's because I don't really think he cares about the money. Well, I mean, I think he cares about the money being spent if it suits his narrative. But his narrative is he's the king. And so he likes that. Uh, that moment in the press conference where he was like, do you disagree with me? And the guy goes, you're the president. And he was like, good answer. I'm like, you shouldn't dis- you just no, I disagree with you. That's not true. But whatever. I guess it would be intimidating standing there. But like that, that moment, like good answer. As opposed to, no, I really, no, tell me. I want, I, you have a right to your opinion. I'd like to hear your input. But no, I want only people who agree with me. Ugh. I guess I shouldn't say he has none of that sensibility because he does seem to like to talk about bringing down federal contractors, right? Yeah. We want the airplanes But that's to the deal-making where you come out on top. How does it feed your ego to cut yeah. the fancy trips? It doesn't, you know. So speaking of egos and things we think are getting um, too much play in social media, we're not actually going to talk about this. We just want to share what happened before. We're Beth and I are in the same space today, in case you couldn't tell. It's very exciting. We're working on our book this weekend, so we're recording together. And we were talking about things to talk about this week, and I said... Well, Milo, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I don't either. Uh, Milo, what's his name? Was, uh, he's been everywhere talking about everything, and simultaneously we both go, I don't want to talk about him. No. (laughs) So, we won't be talking about him. Moving on. We established a rule, actually, that we're never going to talk about him, ever. No, no, That doesn't serve. If if you would like to make a case how discussing him would serve nuanced conversation, I'm all up for that, but it's probably still going to be a veto. So we do want to talk about the president's tweets characterizing the American press as an enemy of the people because that has gotten a lot of discussion. It's interesting always to me when journalism starts to become about journalism as an industry Mm -hmm. instead of about the things happening around journalism. And I did hear somebody on NPR be like, they should just, it's so circular and gross for them to be constantly covered how they're covering, you know, like constantly covering the the president's coverage of the press. Like, it's so circular, but I still think it's important. I don't totally agree with that point, but. Well, I think it's more interesting for regular people to talk about that remark than for the press to talk about that remark. Right. I do I do want the press to just keep being the press. Yeah. Just do your thing. Yeah. That comment really bothered me. You know, I, I tweeted his comment and said something like, the American press, while sometimes challenging to navigate, is a hallmark of our democracy. Hashtag fixed it. That's, also, you know, full of American people. Right. Who do you think's working for CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS? Americans. They're Americans. You just called Americans the enemy of American people. It's, do you see why that's problematic? 
So today I was sitting at a shower for my sister who's getting married in a couple of weeks. And a teacher who's been a really great family friend of ours for a long time listens to the podcast. Hi, Pam. She's <laughs> talking with me about it. And she asked me what I thought of the media in general. And I said to her, and this is really what I believe. I think the media is driven by consumers. How we consume news creates the media environment that we have. And so I'm not willing to lay at the feet of the media um, any of the problems in our democracy because I think the media is simply responding to what we mm-hmm. click on, read, and purchase. Right. So if we want different media, we have to behave differently as consumers of media. I don't think, and, and so yes, is there room for improvement in the media? Of course, but that's because there's room for improvement in how we consume news. I don't think that the executive of our government should be demanding changes in our media. And I don't, th- and I think there's a difference between saying the press is culturally responsive and that can be problematic, or the press is a consumer industry and that can be problematic, or the press is run by corporations and that can be problematic, and saying the press is a conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy. Do they respond to each other? Do they work with each other? Does one person write a think piece and then they go, oh, yeah, that, and kind of shift that way? Are most of them on one side of the political spectrum? I don't even know if that's true, actually. I think that they are as var- they are varied as much as any probably um, socio in the socioeconomic group that they most like most of the people who work in the press fall in i think they're probably pretty representative geography i mean there are lots of factors that influence the ideological spectrum of people in that but this idea that they're a conspiracy and they're trying to trick people and they're trying to perpetuate these uh, no no and just because they you know are calling you out in ways that you don't like um i don't think that means that they are the enemy of the american people give me a break I think it's funny how it seems like President Trump thinks that the way his administration is being covered is new. And -hmm. it's really not new. And in fact, I see many people, especially from the left, who think the press should be covering him in a new way. But I don't see anything unusual happening. Every administration finds the press to be a thorn in its side. It's difficult. It's difficult to be in the fish bubble that is the White House. And I just think... I know that I am, like, you know, a broken record on this. But this type of coverage, the constant leaks, the um, missteps, the coverage of those missteps, the um, particularly the sort of um, evolving, ballooning, snowball effect of, of the leaks and the problems and the issues, Clinton had that. That was a huge problem in the Clinton White House. And that is why Obama was so different. And that's why the best way for you to control the coverage is to not screw up and give them anything to cover. It's not their fault that you have leaks. You know, it's your fault. It's a management style. It is a it's a fundamental problem with your administration. And if you want you, you tighten it up and then you control the story. But if you are mismanaging and if you're firing people left and right and all these things, like that's not their fault. You can't honestly expect, you know, nominees that barely pass, nominees that drop out, and you firing people within the first month to be spun as a well-oiled machine as people are constantly leaking and saying you're all these problems. Like it's just never going to happen. And I don't think... Do I think it's excessive because I think the mistakes of the Trump White House are 
excessive? Yes. But I see the same. I just, I don't know why this, the, the Clinton White House, maybe because I was in such a formative sort of political space in my life. Or maybe because when I was in college, it's where people, when I first started college and was becoming really politically active, I read a lot about this. But, like, that was a big deal and it was a big problem. So it's not necessarily new that this is happening to you. You're just the only one blaming the press for every single issue. And other administrations have griped about the mm-hmm. press, to be fair. And other press secretaries have had good and bad moments with the press. So and remember, that's the thing we talked about with Hillary and Bill, like, back in the cl- like, they have this sort of fatalistic view of the press. You're never going to fa- get a fair shake, so why even try? So, you know, now that might be, you know, that's on the same spectrum of calling them the enemy of the American people. This feeling of they pick on me and I don't get anything right and they're unfairly covering me. Like, that's not new. The Clintons feel like that. The Clintons probably feel like that to this day. Some they, of it's deserved. They coined the phrase vast right-wing conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. That came straight from the Clintons. So nothing new under the sun mm-hmm. with the press and the White House tension. And I just think it's unhealthy to be talking about them as the enemy, unless you're deliberately doing that, and he is. Oh, that, he is. That's the base, getting excited about... And know, I just think it's his worldview. It's that I zero um, tolerance, that sort of black and white um, outlook that there has to be... He's said it a million times. There has to be a winner and there has to be a loser. No, dude. Not true. Just not true. This is... This is Sarah launching unapologetically into pop psychology at this point. But this tells me that this man never really was, like, on the ground parenting. Because if you learn anything on the ground parenting, is that there is not always a winner and a loser. You clearly have never tried to talk a two-year-old from a tantrum because that is not a zero-sum game. Something I would love to know about is his relationship with paparazzi before this. Because it certainly isn't his first rodeo with media scrutiny. It's a totally different world, right. type of media scrutiny. But I would love to know a little mm-hmm. bit more about, I mean, we know some, right? We know that he tried to manipulate those stories. He pretended to be his own um, PR person. And, you know, so he did a pretty good job. I mean, that's the thing. I think, I don't know if Ann Helen Pearson wrote this piece or if she shared it, but I'll find it and put it in the show notes about part of his problem is that his entire life, he has been interacting with the celebrity press, which is just an entirely different universe than the Washington, D.C. press corps. Like, the celebrity press is, you don't get access to me until you spin the story I want you to spin. You don't get, you put me on the cover of People, because, and I give you the exclusive, because you're going to tell the story of my divorce that I want you to tell. I mean, and you know, there's a lot, there's a, you could do an entire podcast on that every week, and it's totally fascinating, and... And Phil Jolie is the best at it. But that, I think he, that's the problem, too, is, like, he just doesn't – I think he sees the press as the press, and it's not the same thing. That's why I've been thinking about paparazzi so much and about how, you know, he must have have had a real preconceived notion of what this was going to be like. Oh, and yeah. it's disappointing him, and that's why he's reacting the way that he's reacting. Absolutely. Well, so management style in the White House is a good segue, I think, to the last thing that you wanted to talk about, Sarah, um, about Craig Deer. So we just found this out right before we started recording that the um, White House fired the National Security, and he was in charge of the Western Division, Hem- Western Division of Western Hemisphere, some order of words like that, um, Craig Deer, because he criticized President Trump in a private speech. I cannot fathom the decision-making in firing additional people 
when people are openly turning down the the position of national security advisor, I, I just I'm very worried about that. I I've do. seen so many sort of smug, celebratory, haha, nobody wants to work for you kind of statements, especially on Twitter, and I am not there. I want everybody to want to work for the administration, no matter who is the president. Well, this isn't going to help anyone. I want to be a fully staffed team. And yet he's still fine. It's it's worrisome. It's definitely worrisome, and uh, I think we'll probably find out even more about this situation. But, you know, and that apparently this this idea of the National Security Council is some army of disciples. I mean, that's why that the the one guy turned it down because he wanted somebody, one of Michael Flynn's deputies fired and they wouldn't. I think that this idea that the National Security Council needs to be in lockstep. No, no, you want I just it, I think what's, you know, so personally offensive to me is like I think for me the best part of being the president is you get the best smartest people and they come in the room and they disagree, and you have to be like Solomon and be like, ugh. Now, I know that sends other people into an anxiety attack, like, oh, my God, that would be terrible. But to me, like, that's the best part of it. That's the most amazing part of that role is the smartest people in the room set you down with a problem that's really difficult to solve, and you have to solve it. So he seems, you know, to not want that set up, to not. He wants everyone to come in and be like, this is how you'll be. This is the one correct answer. We all agree. You're going to be the king. This is how you're going to fix it all. Go. It doesn't work like that, and it's not ever going to work like that. And that's another characteristic of his that is somewhat surprising to me because I think the best people in business do the same thing. I was talking to somebody who works on my team and saying to him, you know, I want you to be more vocal in meetings because I feel like you always have a very different perspective than the rest of the room, and you disagreeing is more valuable than 10 people agreeing. Mm -hmm. That voice of dissent is the most important thing. Any kind of advisor has to be able to constantly disagree with the person that they well, report Well, and you, to. You, you've read all that stuff that, like, he likes warring factions. I mean, it seems to be what he has right now with Priebus and Pence and Bannon, so I don't really understand um, where this is coming from. He does seem to like a little bit of that, we fight it out and you tell us. But I think it's like, as long as they still think, I mean, I think they... Priebus and Pence and Bannon maybe have differing approaches, but it's like I don't I don't think they differ maybe on the big stuff. I don't know. I don't really know the answer. Maybe the warring factions that he likes is tension to compete for place in the pecking order, yeah. not philosophical oh, tension. Oh, that's so true. Like it's it's a vertical tension, not horizontal exactly. tension. Exactly. Yeah, right. that's true. That's true. I bet that's right. So that was the pearls. I wanted to mention one of our newer listeners, and thank you to all of you who are joining us. We're just so excited to be meeting lots of new people. One of our new listeners asked on Twitter what the difference between the segments of our episodes are. So um, since we're pantsuit politics, we use the pearls, the suit, and the heels. The pearls, we try to just kind of quickly get through some of the news of the day. We end the pearls every time by complimenting someone who differs from us ideologically the suit, we take a deeper dive into one focused issue, and then the heels, we talk about what's on our minds besides politics. So, Sarah, do you want to do your compliment for the other side? Yes, going back to the press as the enemy of the American people, Shep Smith on Fox News, he broke the party line, man. He went after him, and he was like, how dare you? Like, of course we can ask questions. It's our job to ask questions. We're not the enemy for asking questions. So, 
Way to put yourself out there. Hope you keep your job, dude. Can I say that I think there are some really good reporters on Fox News? Like, yeah. I think Chris Wallace is good at his job. Oh, yeah, job. yeah. I think Megyn Kelly is often very good at her job. I think Shep Smith can be really good at his job. So I, I know, that's yeah. why I'm worried he'll hope he stays there. Megyn Kelly cut loose. Yep, I hope so, too. Um, I want to go very local with my compliment for the other side today. I was at the Cincy Magazine's uh, Diversity and Inclusion Leadership Forum this week, and Chris Seelbach, who is a Cincinnati councilman, was there, and he did such a beautiful job talking about the importance of diversity in our city. He talked a lot. He explained to this crowd of business leaders what transgender means <laughs> and some of the issues important to the transgender community and how at City Hall they created restrooms that were accessible to everyone. And he talked about how a family restroom is not a welcoming restroom for a transgender person who's not part of a family, that oh, it just needs true. to be a restroom that's welcoming to everyone. Um, he talked about the importance of businesses offering employment opportunities to people who have criminal records as important to diversity. He talked about Cincinnati becoming a sanctuary city and the importance of immigration to our city. So. Anyway, it was a really terrific set of remarks that he made, and, and I just thought he was a fantastic participant and somebody who I'm excited is in this area. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura. 
frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so we are going to move on to a very provocative piece from the New York Times that has already gotten a lot of reaction on our Twitter page. So, am I helping Trump? Go. <laughs> Sabrina Tavernese, we hope we're saying her name correctly, has written a long thought piece on how the liberal, the constant liberal outrage about Donald Trump essentially creates in moderate Republicans a desire to double down on the side of Trump. So I think it's with pieces like this, here's the issue, right? The first thing is people want to engage with the um, the emotion. Yeah. So people want to engage with the emotional reaction or emotional argument people are making. So first and foremost, I think one of the people was quoted as saying, you know, saying you're a Trump voter is like saying you were gay in the 1950s. Okay, well, she's expressing an emotion there that she feels attacked. And everybody was like, no, it's not the same. No. Of course it's not the same. It's not the same. We all acknowledge it's not the same. Being gay in the 1950s is not being like a Trump voter now um, for many, 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 many reasons. But I think that with the emotion of those arguments, like you're not going to argue someone out of the emotion. I think what's important um, is to engage with the cultural trend that those emotions might be illuminating. Oh, that's well said. Thanks. When I read this piece, I was excited to talk about it because I think it is entirely missing the point. I think that it is yet another piece designed to pick at the very painful scab that we are all wearing about the election in one form or another. Here's the situation. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter if liberals are outraged in a way that makes conservatives double down. And it doesn't matter that the reaction by liberals to this piece is to explain yet again why um, the end of the universe was on the line in this election and those of us who did not support Hillary Clinton were on the wrong side of history. None of that matters because we are where we are. And we're not going anywhere. Like, here's the thing. Uh, and I feel this way when conservatives do the, like, I got an exchange on Facebook about abortion again because I decided not to be productive that day, clearly. And, you know, I just keep saying, like, why do we have to do this? Like, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to change how you feel. I'm not going to change how we I feel. We have to, like, stop thinking 
this one fact or this is going to this is going to fix it and I'm going to say how what a hypocrite your side is and then you're going to want to join my side and then what we'll all be on the one the same side like this never going to happen do we even want that to happen I really like Dante said this to somebody on on my page he said like I wish we'd all stop go stop saying like the left and the right as if that is indicative and we all fall in line and it's representative it's not and it's we're not going to change each other's minds and this idea that like the other side is the problem and just you can just feel everybody's raw emotion about it and I'm just not really sure what the purpose is because surely we're all smart enough to know we're not going to convince everybody there's nothing so let's just put this down let's just lay this down as clearly as we can there is literally nothing Donald Trump can do that would magically transform everyone in America to being democratic or a Democrat. It's not going to happen ever. He would do whatever he would do, however, whatever monstrous thing he could dream up or whatever thing you think is like, that would be it. There will still be people who will support him. It's just the reality. It's just the, re and the harder we push people, the more they double down. I was so disturbed by that Pew Research, the new Pew Research numbers that were like, everybody's just, it's just more intense. Like all he's doing is just making everybody feel more passionately about their side. And I just, I, I think, and I think the real emotional frustration from the left is that they thought like, this will do it, we'll all unite. But it's not going to happen, you guys. Like, it's just, it's not. Well, you don't want that either. Part of the problem right now, I think, is that both parties tried to be too big of tents. Yeah. So you have really differing views of what an agenda looks like trying to live in one space. Yeah. And then I think everyone thought, well, the answer to that in 2016 is to have a good versus evil election. And both sides decided their side was the good. Mm -hmm. Right. And that doesn't do it either. The, the one thing that gets my emotional state worked up is being lumped in mm -hmm. and, and seeing all Republicans or all conservatives being lumped in to a point that someone made somewhere in the many mentions on Twitter that we got after we posted this article today. Someone said, you know, conservatives give Trump more hell than a lot of liberals do. If you follow people like Evan McMullen, Bill Kristol, I mean, conservatives will really take Trump down as much as, as any liberal. And that's where a lot of us are. So I hate the lumping. I well, also and I recognize... think the problem is that there's not a lot of elected officials taking those positions. And that's, that's right. the problem. The idea that we all have to be and you know, I think there's this idea in the Democratic Party too, like that poor senator from West Virginia, everybody's ready to kick him to the curb. Like, or we could just, I don't know, make a little room. Like, make a little room in the Republican Party for somebody who disagrees with Trump. And make a little room in the Democratic Party for people who agree with Trump on certain things. Like, the the pushing everyone further and further out is not going to serve anything. I think Joe Manchin is a great person to That's bring him. up in this conversation. <laughs> because of the, the purity testing mm. there. Joe Manchin is in a tough seat when you think about the people he represents and what's important to him. And we're still a representative government. You don't go to Washington, D.C. to fit neatly into the country's larger story about what it means to be a Democrat or a Republican. You go to Washington, D.C. to represent your district and your yeah. state and your constituents. And that's the problem. That's what people, I think that's why people on both sides feel frustrated. 
Because how representative are they when it has to be this unified one narrative, every Republican senator repeating the same talking points? Nobody feels represented in that moment, right? All you feel like you're representing is the party line. And who really feels represented by the party line? I don't really feel represented by the Democratic Party line. I don't even know what that is right now. Um, And with, you know, and I think it's tough because this happens a lot where I live. Really liberal, really progressive people, they feel betrayed by more conservative Democrats. They feel um, like they're not being represented. But like, and it's really hard because you think like, do you, are you pro-life because you're pro-life? Are you pro-life to win and to get elected? And that's difficult. And that's a difficult thing to think about. And I don't really know the answer, but I do know that forcing both sides into more extreme ideologies to make their base happy is not doing great things for our political debate. Well, and to your point about elected officials, they're, they're actively making it worse. Several people sent us Mitch, Con- Mitch McConnell's remarks about how he doesn't think that President Trump is any different than a President Bush or President Rubio would have been, except that he has a Twitter feed. Well, now that is insane and ridiculous, and I don't understand why he would say that, and it's not helpful to anyone. Because I know exactly the same. It knows exactly why he says that, because what Mitch McConnell wants to do is say, I'm still reasonable and I'm still a conservative. I just don't it gives him something to disagree with without actually compromising his legislative strategy, right? It gives him a way to say, it gives him an out to say, oh, I just, I don't like his tweets. I've told you I don't like his tweets as if they're wholly and completely separate and they have no effect on policy or legislation or what's actually happening in our government. And if Mitch McConnell wants to tell himself that, I mean, maybe in his core he believes that. I'm not sure anything that comes out of Mitch McConnell aligns with how he really feels. I don't, because I don't really know how Mitch McConnell feels about anything. But I, I just, I mean, we're not going anywhere, you guys. The people that, I, I, well, I do want to say this. Here's my struggle, and I've been wanting to ask you about this. For better or for worse, a lot of the ideological, and I'm talking about the very extreme, breakdown often comes, often falls along an education breakdown. So like even my father said, I just, your friends talk down to me. Just they think because they have a college degree, they're better than me. I don't know how to think about that or address that because as a person who values education, and values, knowledge, I don't know how to respect, I mean, I do respect people's opinions, but I don't know how to have a conversation with people in which we can say, I mean, are people's valid opinions more valid if they're based on information that they gain through education? I, I'm struggling. I, I struggle. Because I, I listen, I watch these um, fault lines just anecdotally on my own personal Facebook page and I can tell you where they split and I don't know how to feel about that. You're articulating a big part of why I am conservative. 
So I am conservative in large part because I don't really like authority. I don't really want anybody making decisions for me, right? We had a conversation once where I said, well, for me and my family, I want to decide this. And you said, I don't really think about it as me and my family, right? I think about the whole spectrum. So, but I do think about it as me and my family and you and your family and anybody else and their family. And whenever I read reactions to things like the piece that we're talking about today, that we're loosely talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> that is lost in a So whenever I read reactions to that, that basically say something along the lines of, it is ridiculous for conservatives to expect me to respect opinions that are racist. My reaction to that is, I am definitely not expecting you to respect opinions that are racist. And along educational lines, I am definitely not expecting anyone to contemplate a structure that doesn't make sense to them. That is why I don't like government overreach. That is why I don't like a lot of government programs. Because as soon as you decide we are going to have a collective solution to this problem, then it becomes very difficult to say whose opinion matters. It becomes very difficult to say whether one perspective is more valid than another because of education or life experience or geography. But you like know, legitimately, isn't somebody's more opinion more legitimate if it comes from an educated perspective? I guess it depends on what the topic is and what the education means. Right, because there are very smart people in my life who I would not trust to make any decision for me. <laughs> and they are very, very smart people, right? Very educated people. Very educated people. Because I'm really trying to use the word educated and not smart. Because those are not the same thing. But like, I mean, in the Venn diagram, there is a Venn diagram. But I, I just... Mm. But this is my point, right? Because educated... There are, I am surrounded constantly by people who are educated in ways that knock my socks off. And there are a lot of important decisions that I would not trust them to make. I mean, it's like I, have this, I was having this conversation with this guy and he said, that's what people are tired of. They're, pe- they're tired of the professors and the lawyers and the people, the social science experts or whatever, making decisions on, for them. And I'm like... Help me understand why you would be opposed to that. Help me, because, and I would say things to him, and he would say, well, I can't back this up, but this is how I feel. But we can't make decisions based on that. We can't make, that when the guy comes to the Trump rally and he says, I heard this guy on the radio, when he says immigrants are committing crimes, and when he says that we don't have any jobs, and when he says, like, that just, I relate to that on a deep level. I don't know what to say to that because I can't help. I know that it connects with you emotionally, but if it is false, we can't make decisions based on that. And that seems to be Trump's argument. People feel this way, so we have to address it. Well, people felt like black people were the problem for a long time. And let's be honest with ourselves. A lot of people still do. So what I... Mm, that's why help I, me. That's why I <laughs> help am... Help me help you. <laughs> That's why I am typically in favor of the collective we deciding as little as possible. So I think about this really interesting question that was asked during a forum, a legislative forum in northern Kentucky. 
all of our state representatives come together for one day and take questions from the public, which I think is phenomenal. They're the only delegation in Kentucky that does this, and I think everybody should do it. It was very interesting. Covered a wide range of topics. (laughs) So a woman stands up and tells a very emotional story about being at the only hospital system available to her in in our fairly large county. It's a Catholic hospital system. And she had an unbelievably difficult birth, was told by her doctor that trying to give birth again would probably kill her, and that she should have her tubes tied while she was there. The hospital wouldn't do it. Oh, okay. Okay. And so... I got beast with you. I got beast with the Catholic hospital. So what she was asking our legislative delegation was to work on the process for certifying need for a new hospital system in the area. She just said, look, we should just have more choices than this. I'm not saying we have to force that hospital to do this. I'm saying they should have competition that does this. Okay? So I thought it was a super um, intelligent perspective on the topic. I I thought she handled it well. Way more calm than I would be. I mean, she was. It was thoughtful. It was articulate. It was reasonable. And the response from our legislators was thoughtful and reasonable as well. And what they said was, That makes absolute sense for a county as populous as ours, but we are not reflective of the state of Kentucky here. In rural counties, if you introduce an urgent care, you might shut down the hospital available in that county that people desperately need when they need it, right? And so they were talking about this balance of interests just within our tiny commonwealth of Kentucky the vast needs of the vastly different needs of communities. And that's what I think plays out when we talk about a lot of these issues. It's not just education. Everything about life experience, and education tracks some of those life experiences, right? Where you decide to live, what kind of work you decide to do, all of your socioeconomic outcomes. But it doesn't invalidate, right? One experience doesn't wholly invalidate another experience. And I don't know whose opinion should count more, right? I do know from life experience that I would not always use degrees or educational institutions conferring those degrees to decide who the best decision maker is. I also very much believe in expertise and in data and in science. (laughs) And so I think there's a role for both. But the reason that I typically am in favor of limiting what we're trying to accomplish as a collective society is because I don't like elevating one person over another. And that's what we ultimately have to do. I mean, and that's what the same, I've had two conversations recently with conservative Christians who felt like their beliefs were being threatened emotionally. Like they just had a very emotional and for better or for worse, I think it is the increasing rights of um, the LGBTQT community that has made them feel like that. And I said to this person, I said, I don't, you have to help me understand how the sexuality of another person affects your relationship with God. I do not understand that. But what he, what he feels, and, you know, I talked to a friend of mine who, who was having, you know, this, a similar conversation, and it's just, they, it's the same thing with the Trump. I can't say it out loud. Like, it's become socially unacceptable to say you don't agree with homosexuality, and that makes them feel threatened. And I said, you know, I said, it's almost like we need to have a different, there's two conversations. There's a cultural conversation 
and there is a policy conversation, right? If you feel culturally threatened, that's not the government's problem. It's not, you shouldn't blame politicians for that. That culture is shifting. It is shifting away from your personal belief system. P.S. Electing Donald Trump is not going to fix that. We're not going to go backwards. We're not going to put Pandora back in the box. <laughs> We're not going, I'm going to stop saying it. We're not going to put Pandora back in the box. Like, I just don't think that's going to happen. Even the restrictions of abortion rights, the restriction of these religious freedom laws, are it's not going to make people feel... Somebody who, someone who has decided to accept homosexuality is not going to say, you know what, I was wrong, I'm going to go back the other way. It's just, I don't think that's going to happen. And so, and I think that part of that is what's happening. I think the people's, once they shift their beliefs and once they, you know, sort of put their money on a slot, is that confirmation bias. It's that behavioral economics of like, you know, um, risk aversion and people don't want to accept loss and I'll throw good money after bad. And I think part of the, the, the Trump voter situation is, the doubling down is people just don't want to say, crap, maybe I shouldn't have voted for him. Like, I just don't, I don't think people are willing to do that. There's something so emotional about your vote and so personal about your vote. And so the the mere, you know, sort of, and I think Americans take their vote, they're very protective of their votes and their right to vote for who they want and keep it a secret and not be attacked for it. And this idea of like, my vote was wrong is it provokes a very emotional reaction. I think that's true. I also think a lot of people, and I'm sorry that this is the case because I know how a lot of our listeners will react to this, as bad as things feel to many of us right now, I don't think folks who voted for Donald Trump are going to have a moment where they say, it would be so much better with Hillary Clinton as president. (laughs) They're not going to do that. Again, again, so that's why I read this article and thought, Kind of, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? And isn't the way to move forward to peel back the layers? So my first reaction to something that says all Republicans deserve to be sent packing and the resistance is coming and blah, blah, could be to say, well, don't let me in with this. And don't, why am I reacting to that at all? I mean, again, this is why I'm conservative. I don't, I don't need to be part of the, the, leading thought on anything to take your example about the lgbt community and uh, conservative christians so i don't personally understand the concept of open marriage i would not choose that for my marriage i don't want anyone making laws about that you want to cheat on your spouse or you and your spouse agree that that's going to be part of your marriage do it up. You do you. I don't care. That doesn't affect my faith. It doesn't affect my parenting. It doesn't affect the way that I perceive my relationship with my husband. We choose what's best for us. You choose what's best for you. That's how I feel about any kind of relationship people choose for themselves. And again, to me, that's the essence of thinking that we limit the power of government in our lives. Because as a collective, we I don't care what the collective wisdom, if the collective wisdom all of a sudden said, guess what? Human beings are not programmed to be monogamous over time. And the whole concept of marriage we have from a data perspective is lame and stupid and contrary to our nature. I would not suddenly go, oh, science says that my life choices have all been wrong and I'm going to change them now. I wouldn't. And I want the freedom to 
make this decision for myself, right? That's and a stretched just, example, but I think it's important to use some examples like that occasionally to dig us out of these positions that we find ourselves trapped in. It's just, it's so that, the, the, so, so many layers. Because I think the, I think you're right, particularly with the social conservative issues, right? Especially, let's just, let's stay on this LGBTQ thing. You know, what this person said to me is, I think it's, Culturally, I don't feel like my religious beliefs are acceptable. Oh, P.S. I wonder how Muslims feel. Just throwing that in there. Um, and I think that, and that's, I feel threatened. And <laughs> super ironically, I want the government to protect me, even though obviously that's how the LGBTQ community feels. They feel threatened by your religious beliefs and they want the government to protect you. So anytime we have a cultural clash, and we all take a step and then go, you know what? This has gone so far. I want the government to protect me. I want the government to protect my religious freedom. I want the government to protect my um, freedom of sexual orientation. And then that's when we get into so, it gets so problematic. And I think and particularly with social conservative issues and the lumping of Republicans and the um, doubling down and the willingness to ignore the fact that clearly Donald Trump does not believe any of these things. Um, all that stuff is just, it's so, again, the, the cultural, when we get this toxic stew of cultural and political and like personal values, it's just so fun. It's just, well, it's not funny. It's depressing, but. Well, my question is protect me from what? Mm-hmm. Protect me from what? And I think that's an important question for us to ask ourselves, especially if we are people who typically say, we don't want big government. Anytime we say, I want the government to protect me, we are saying, I want bigger government. And not only I want bigger government, but I want more intrusive government. I want government in some of the ways that we feel in our hearts and minds. I don't want that. I'm sorry. I do not. Yeah. So I, I think that something that I am trying to practice for myself is breaking that constant cycle of personalizing everything I see in the news and on someone's social media feed. I do not have to take offense on behalf of all Republicans to anything. Mm -hmm. I do not have to take offense when I see things like, um, screw you moderate Republicans who voted third party. I don't have to react to that. It doesn't matter to me. Right. I feel like the theme here is like emotion. Like there's just so much emotion in politics. Generally it makes it complicated in the, Lord knows in the 2016. And look, I have a lot of trouble saying, we have listeners who write in and say, I experience post-traumatic stress when I hear him talk due to traumas in my life and his personal statements. How am, you know, and I would personally have a lot of problem not punching someone in the face who called that person a snowflake. Like that, the, the idea of like, you're too sensitive like, it's so offensive and it's so mean and just doesn't move the conversation forward. And this idea that liberals are just these big, fat babies that can't take it all. And and that's probably why why many of our listeners on the left reacted so much to this, to this idea of, like, the Trumps, the Trumps, the Trumps of voters feel picked on because, you know, people use libtard, like, as a thing in life on the regular now. So, you know, I, I guess, I don't know how I feel my own personal emotions fired up every time, you know, it's, it's so hard to take a step back from your emotions. 
I don't really know the answer. I guess we should all start meditating. That would probably help. But I think meditation is a good answer for everything. I also think, though, that just stopping a second and zooming mm-hmm. out and not giving – there are legitimate issues to be concerned about in terms of the exercise of power in our country, always and especially now. But we don't have to give other people so much power constantly. Every time I get mad, I feel like I've lost some power. Now, that's personal to me, right? It's partly because I don't like to be mad. I don't like the sensation of mad in my body. And I don't like any of the ways that I behave when I am mad. I like a, like, I like a good righteous fury, though. So that's good. That's good for you. Like, that's <sighs> one that I don't like for me. But but it's a really unproductive thing for me personally. It's not unproductive. There are people who are very productive when they're mad. Whatever that is in you, though, that's unproductive, that's just buffering, it's just spinning, 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 mm-hmm. spinning, spinning in emotion because you're reacting to something, that to me is giving away power. And I want to take power in this in this next four years, eight years, forever, Hmm. I want to take more power, right? I want to stand up for the rights that I believe I have and that my family have and the people who who are not as protected as we are, the people who are truly subjected to awful things. I want to take power so that I can be more useful to them. I am not useful sitting around going, God, like it just hurts my feelings that – my left-leaning friends think I'm an idiot. I don't, I just, I'm done feeling that way. Well, and I, what I've done too, and I think it has helped, is sort of, and I did this kind of accidentally, but because I'm an elected official and because I ran in a nonpartisan race and I try to be really cognizant of um, my constituents and how they feel of all political stripes, I sort of just decided, I kind of take this position like, I picked one thing. I picked my one thing that when news happens about this, I'm going to give myself permission to comment on it. I'm going to give myself permission to like think deep thoughts and put them out on Facebook and say, this is something that concerns me. My thing is Russia. So I've been posting a lot recently. But like, I feel like that is a real threat. Um, I feel like that is something to be concerned with that needs sustained attention. But like, I think I have friends who are teachers, and their thing is charter schools. And I have friends that are environmentalists, and their things are environmental regulations. And I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but it has helped me to think, because it's so easy for me to just react to Trump. It's really easy. He is antithetical. Like, I don't know what his Enneagram is, but I feel confident it's the one that sets me off. Like, I I, I can react so easily and emotionally to things he does and says. And so what I've tried to do is think, react to this issue that you've decided is important. Don't post unless it's about this issue in in a black and white development with regards to this issue. And it's really kind of helped me. It's kind of helped me use it as sort of a guidepost that I'm so that I'm not just, we're spending so much money because he goes to Mar-a-Lago. I have some private face groups I do that in. That's better. (laughs) Well, another thing I think in sort of the spirit of moving forward for me is to say, like, what do I, what really bothers, because there there are, I agree with you, there are personality things about Donald Trump that really set me off. So I just try to call that out. Hey, I am really set off by this thing about his personality, but honestly, it doesn't matter that much. Okay, so I'm going to pass on that. My thing with him is foreign policy as well, because that is uniquely within the power of the president. 
I think it is a place where he could do genuine damage. And so I get real worked up and concerned about that. Domestically, I'm willing to see how things go. I don't like a lot of it, but I'm willing to see how it goes. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We'll see how it goes. That's our end. That's our end point. Sounds and I good. think see how it goes is different than give it a chance. Or, yeah. Or you know, 
to me, it's just accepting the reality of this is where we are. Mm-hmm. We're going to take it one day at a time. But there is no reason to constantly get pissed at other people in this environment. That does us no good. And that's what we're doing right now, yeah. right? And that creates a power vacuum. I just, again, and what I come back to is, you know, if the, if the quotes, as a, a person on the left, the quotes from those Trump supporters leave you furious. And as a person on the right, if the idea that people can't tell someone who they voted for leaves you furious, I get it. I get that fury at the other side. But where do you think they're going? These, the people who, even the stupid Milo, he's not going anywhere. Like, people who feel the opposite of you are still Americans, and I'm pretty sure most of us don't have any immediate plans to move. So, where do we go from there? I think where we go is to decide what our American values are and to get more honest about those and to take our jerseys off in that process and not to try to be pure left and pure right and to be really transparent about those things. I think about this email exchange I had with one of our listeners. This has been a long time ago. I think it was Marjorie. Forgive me if I'm wrong about that. We were talking about welfare and and Marjorie wrote a very rational email to me about universal basic income and how the idea drives her nuts mm-hmm. that we would just give people money. And and she talked about some examples that she's witnessed of people who refuse to try to lift themselves out of their circumstances despite being given every opportunity to do so. And I thought about that and thought about it and thought about it. And I responded to her and said, you know what? Everything you've said here is valid and rational and I just choose to prioritize grace in this situation. Mm-hmm. My, my value system on how we treat the poor is grace. And that is not a conservative or Republican <laughs> position necessarily. I don't know that it's a Democratic one either, right? It's just, I just look at the situation and, and all I can tell you, I'm not going to sit here and battle for my position. All I can tell you is where I come out is to have grace for people in this circumstance. And I think that that is so much more helpful than pretending that I'm following some logical path where I'm not. Mm-hmm. Well, and not to leave us on a super upbeat note, <laughs> but I think in certain moments I have to think about how far sort of the power of the individual with inside a culture, right? Obviously, I believe in these conversations on a personal level. I think I believe in them as a vehicle for self-growth. I think it's important enough to me that I sit down with Beth two times a week to do it. Do, However, when I think about our current state of polarization, history tells me only big things reset stuff like that. Now, I can get in my head and I can make a case for the internet being a game changer and social media um, allowing us to uh, shift the conversation and push it in new directions and talk about our American values. And maybe that's true. I don't know. I can't see the future. But history tells me that when we've gotten like this, what got us out of that are big, bad things that we have to work through together. Wars, 
depressions, um, and the like. So, you know, and I don't really think that there, I think there is, um, nothing wrong with thinking about that, honestly. I think there's nothing wrong with thinking about the historical trajectories of our country, what they've shown us in the past, where we could be right now. Um, are we, are our team jerseys important enough to us to push it so far that the only way we can see our, see a way out is conflict with one another or conflict with out, outside the country in a big, scary way? I have three young kids. I like to think it wouldn't take that. Um, so, I mean, I think that we, but though that, that historical perspective and is an important question as much as the sort of personal perspective. And I think that where we really go wrong is when we let our emotional, personal perspective color that. And when it becomes my side is the side of good, of, of right, and I'm saving the world by being a Democrat or liberals are the enemy of America and they're going to be the down. Whenever somebody says like, just stop using the word downfall, everybody don't do that. Don't say downfall. Don't say enemy of about your fellow Americans who hold different opinions than you. It's just not helpful. I don't think it's true. Um, and it doesn't move the conversation forward. And if there's any value to be had in that conversation, truly to God, we want to move it forward. And putting Donald Trump in the lens of the American historical perspective, we've had really incompetent presidents mm -hmm. before. I think he feels unprecedented because it's an unprecedented media environment. We have unprecedented access to information. We have unprecedented interest in He's this He's unprecedented in his lack of experience. That's, that's for sure. That's fair. I mean, there are, there are things that are unusual here, but... Like, it's it's kind of helpful to remember he could be a blip on the radar of the American experience. Please he God. really could. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to start praying for that every night. Let Donald Trump be a blip on the, but the, the screen thing, of the American experience. But the thing that's not a blip, I think, on the on the radar of the American experience mm -hmm. is, is this polarization. And, and maybe it's just normal. I mean, maybe, like, we're big freaking diverse country and we only continue to grow and but like when I I've said this before when we talk about the founding fathers but they most certainly talked about each other as if Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton felt like the other one was the downfall and the enemy of America Thomas Jefferson 300% thought that Alexander Hamilton was a monarchist was who was going to be the downfall of the United States of America. Like, they definitely felt like each other, that about each other. Like, we're not doing anything new right now. We, at different times in history, you know, and maybe that's just the reality of the psychology of being an American, <laughs> that you think, you know, it's a diverse country and, like, we are all threats to democracy and this sort of perpetual threat is what keeps us strong. I don't know, but I, I, it's not new, that's for sure. I think it's important, though, again, to not give... Donald Trump too much power. Mm -hmm. Brooke Castillo says about money that money just makes you more of who you are. If you're a worrier and you have more money, you're going to worry lots about it. If you're kind of a fly-by-night, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants person, you have more money, you're going to be more like that. You're going to have more fun. I think Donald Trump makes you more of who you are. Yeah. Whatever it is that was kind of brewing in you politically before this election season, I think Donald Trump just makes you more of that. He's like a power-up in Mario Brothers. <laughs> 
And so maybe just constantly recognizing that and checking in with it and being aware of it is the most important thing. I mean, it it sounds trite to go back to meditation, but if we could have a little bit more of observation of ourselves in response to articles, in response to headlines, the news alerts that we're all getting all day, every day, I think that might be the most helpful thing we could do to move forward, at least as an initial step. So stay with us. Next up on the heels, we've started asking every week, what are you thinking about this week? of hair off this week. You did. And I've been thinking about, (laughs) this sounds real trite after the conversation that we just had, but I've been thinking about sort of our relationship with our hair. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, this is my favorite. I have the most amazing thing. This is from the first time Hillary ran. She had the, I think she like had a dinner with like the hair association salon people. I don't know. But it was like a little table tent and it had all her hair. And she has this great quote about, I can't remember what the quote is, but I always thought she seemed the most human when she would talk about her hair. So hair for me has been a battle because my hair is naturally super thick, super curly. And no one who has super thick, super curly hair wants to have super thick, super curly hair, right? So it's taken me well into my 30s to decide that I'm not going to flat iron my hair every day. I'm not going to fight with it anymore. Exactly. Who has the time? And I just don't have the interest. If I had that kind of time, I would sit and read a book or, you know, take a walk, whatever. There are a hundred other things I would rather do with that time. So um, I let my hair get really long. I started wearing it curly. And I don't know what got into me this week, but I just decided I'm done with this hair. And I went. It's not even hot. I know. It's not even hot. (laughs) I just kind of got mad one day and decided I'm going to take this out on my hair. And so I went to somebody I'd never seen before. Oh, wow. That is brave. I know. I sat down in the chair and I said, listen, here's my situation. This is not a beige wallpaper move. I know. I feel very powerful about that. I told her, look, I have curly hair. I'm going to wear it curly. I also am a professional and I need some kind of shape. In my hair. I thought that was interesting one time you said you felt like curly hair was not professional. Yes. I do feel like curly hair is not viewed as professional, right? So I still don't feel like I have super professional hair because it is curly. It's very bobby. I feel like a bob is a professional thing to have. Yeah. But anyway, I also think, here's my other idea. I think that you should have, like, for introverts, a way to send some kind of announcement out, like the way you announce the birth of a baby. Don't talk about it. Like, I just want to let you all know that I did cut my hair. Please don't. (laughs) Everybody, please don't say something. Yes, and we don't have to do And listen, I'm an extrovert. I hate, just because I'm a productive extrovert, I don't want to have the same conversation with every person I see for the next five days. That's annoying. It would almost be more helpful than a baby announcement, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows you had the baby. But listen, everyone, I just, I cut all my hair off, and here's why. And we don't have to talk about it. And here's how I feel about it. Thank you so much for asking. No, it should just be like, okay, so here's what's, I cut my hair. You're going to say, oh my God, you cut your hair. I'm going to say, yeah, here's why. Here's where I cut my hair. You're going to say this. So, look, we did that. Mm-hmm. It's done. 
Now we don't have to do it. Now we don't have to do it. Oh, that. that would be amazing. I don't let's let's scale that. That could be scalable to so many things. <laughs> it appeals to me on a deep level because I hate that surface level bullshit small talk. Okay, whoever's out there, there's a lot of y'all out there. <laughs> figure out an app, figure out a fa- I don't a Facebook plugin. I don't really care, but there is somebody out there that can take that idea which in which we do not have to engage in the same reductive repetitive small talk about bigger things in our lives with our coworkers and acquaintances. Figure it out, y'all. There are so many things, too, that that could be Oh, my God, so for. many things. The so applications things. are limitless, really, of that kind of concept. Like new jobs. Yes. New I, car. Yes, I did lose weight. Weight loss. Yes. Weight gain. Yes. Babies. Yes, marriages, mm-hmm. engagements, breakups. Y'all, we have to make this happen. I'm feeling very passionately about this right now. Oh, and the pregnancy thing alone. I remember one time seeing a pregnancy shirt. It was like a T-shirt, and it said... It's a boy. I'm due here. Like, it, it covered all the same oh, stupid crap you have to talk about every single time. I'm at three centimeters. How's your cervix? Yeah. Right. Right. Good. Exactly. Oh, I love this. <laughs> idea so hard. Okay. Well, when we have, like, the Google, like, when, you know, when we have things so trending up over our, our heads. heads. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming. <laughs> That'll definitely be a thing. So, what I'm thinking about this week is, um, well, maybe not this week, probably in the last two days, is moving and multi-generational housing. My family and I have talked about this for a while. Uh, my parents and my, I, we lived with my parents when we first moved to Kentucky and lived with them when each of my children was born. And so, it's come up a lot and I've sort of slowly worn my mother down to this idea. And we thought about um, also having my grandmother live with us. I'm super on board, but I tend to ignore the downsides of things when that's what I want. I'm like what my husband calls a bulldozer. (laughs) So my mother found a house that she thinks would be so exceptional for this, and we've walked through it a couple times, and I'm already like fully arranging my furniture inside this house. Um, But I would like to hear from any of you guys who maybe live in multi-generational households. I'm super on board with this idea. I think it is more positive for the human spirit just generally. Um, But again, might be ignoring the downsides with living with my mother. So if any of y'all do that out there, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I think it's perfect so that our second book can be on caregiving. Yeah, because we, we had somebody, had, I love that, and somebody already talked about it. I just, you know, I, I I like the idea of my kids. It's part of the reason I made back to Paducah. I think it's, I was, my grandparents were super um, involved in my life, and my great-grandparents, I had really close relationships with um, six great-grandparents, which is a lot. Um, and I would like to, um, my kids to have the same experience. I don't really like the idea of my grandmother living by herself. Um, I think she should be with us. She's fiercely independent. She is less on board with this plan. <laughs> She'd have her own basement. It's not like we'd be like sharing a bedroom, but, um, so we're, th- we're thinking about this and I'm really pushing hard, but I'd love to hear about other people's experiences. Well, thank you guys for joining us for um, a very long episode. <laughs> That's what happens today. when they're in the same room. Sorry, Oops. guys. Um, we are going to shut up so we can start working on that first book. <laughs> <laughs> for our second one. Um, but we'll be back with you for another episode on Friday. Depending on what happens with the news, we'll try to get some feedback in. Please do keep your feedback coming, even though we're not having as much time to talk about it on the show. We will figure out some format where we get to share some of that with everyone because the community of people who listen to the show continues to surprise us in awesome ways. So thank you for joining us for this episode. Until Friday, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsuit Politics possible. 
and to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at PantsuPolitik, or Instagram at PantsuPolitics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at PantsuPoliticsShow.com or beth at PantsuPoliticsShow.com.